I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Paramang people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Uh, unfortunately, a uh, wine barrel full of wine uh, fell into my foot. I had a very serious injury, which uh, essentially kept me in, in a chair in, 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 in a bed for uh, nearly uh, eight months. And that was a long time to, I guess, uh, rethink what I wanted to do. And uh, it, it was also questionable where I can walk properly, where I can um, work on the floor again. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Marcel Custas is a modern-day wine professional, and by that, I mean he has had a varied and fascinating journey thus far. Ludo Wines is his brand, which produces organically farmed wines from Adelaide Hills and McLaren Vale in South Australia. I'm honoured to have him on the podcast to share his story with the world. Hi, Marcel. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Shante. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. It's so wonderful to have you on the show. I've been following your career for some years now, and uh, it never ceases to amaze me that you've got something new that you're up to and fitting in, you know, 48 hours in the regular 24. But tell us a little bit about where you're originally from and what was your childhood like? Um. Yeah, like, look, thanks for thanks for that. I mean, uh, yeah, likewise, I've been following your journey for a long time, so I'm so happy to be here. So, um, yeah, I I'm from Hungary, so I was born and I, I grew up in Hungary, in the Hungarian countryside, uh, close to the Austrian border, and um, yeah, look, it's um, Hungary. People and wine in Hungary actually have, have a very, um, I guess, intimate relationship. Um, by that, I mean that uh, wine is is very much um, part of the everyday life. So most people would uh, um, would have a small vineyard in their backyard, or a family member would have a vineyard, or um, you know, a friend of a friend would have a, a vineyard. So um, one way or the other. Um, you, it's, it's very likely that you would be invited uh, um, to pick some, to harvest some grapes, and uh, and you know turn that into wine uh, throughout your life. And I've been fortunate enough that uh, um, both sides of my family uh, had a small vineyard, um, and uh, winemaking was, was very much part of the Daniel agenda. So when I was let's say ten years old, I would be already happy my. My granddad um, making wine and uh, you know having a cheeky sip here or, uh, or there, um, so that very much uh, I guess paved my passion for uh, for wine. And um, when it come to when it came to um, deciding what to what to uh, what to study and you know what I would like to do um, when I grow up, um, well I, I I didn't necessarily have a very clear idea um at that time but um i i definitely loved um i love flavors i i love food i love the i loved wine and i just love the idea of, of of creating something with my with my hands and you know creating new flavors so i actually um went to uni to study um food and and and, and uh, wine operations or food and beverage operations and uh, winemaking was was part of that and um, that was really where I, I got to learn more about, I guess, the, the science um, of, uh, of food and wine. And um, yeah, so after that, I, I started working as a, um, 
as a product developer in um, in the food industry, ice cream and and, and chocolate. That was really my my field, and uh, and you know wine was kind of um, wine was always there, um, and uh, you know sometimes it was I guess more intensified than other times, but. Uh, you know, it was um, summertime was definitely about rosé and white wine, and, uh, and then uh, when it was a bit colder, would you know gravitate towards um, red wine, and uh, and I really loved that uh, um, movement of the new generation winemakers in Hungary. That was uh, very much starting when um, when I uh, started my professional career, and uh, and and after that, I um, I, I just decided that. Uh, I wanted to. I wanted to learn more, and uh, and uh, it was it was at the at the height of the um, molecular cuisine, the molecular gastronomy. So Heston Blumenthal was uh, my my ultimate uh, hero, and um, you know that sort of love for um, I guess having a better understanding um, of flavors, textures, and and how we actually perceive all of that and and you know w- w- what else happens because a, a lot of it not necessarily about what's in the glass or what's in the plate but you know there is there is uh, a lot more to it or the atmosphere the environment the music the colors etc so that took me to to the netherlands to study uh food technology and um, i had a particular um uh focus on um i guess gastronomy and uh, and and the real science of that and uh, and coincidentally wine wine was uh, coming up more and more um in scientific conversations with uh with main like food and wine pairings and flavor combinations and uh, and that uh, uh, ultimately took me to australia and um i completed my my thesis um here and um and an internship as well at uh, you know Adelaide. Uh, which was um, more about the sensory evaluation of wine, sensory science of wine, and I just fell in love with uh, with uh, with wine tasting and uh, and the Australian wine industry that I found very um, welcoming from from the start. And um, at the same time, I received a uh, scholarship to um, to start a PhD and. Um, and yeah, I was as for, I was fortunate enough to to design my uh, my own research project that ended up being food, wine, and emotion pairings, and how we could use that to um, promote Australian wine regions and uh, and uh, and enhance um, or I guess just you know highlight the uh, subregional differences uh, between between subregions within a region. And uh, yeah, I was fortunate to work with uh, um, some absolutely fantastic uh, professionals in the field, not only in Australia, but also in, um, in California, in the US. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I feel like I'm kind of, you know, t- telling my whole, whole life story. You just, you know, jump in if, uh, um, if yeah, if, if I'm saying too much or, um, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not saying too much, but I mean, when I first read your kind of CV, I suppose I would say, I, I I like to think of myself as somebody that really enjoys the interplay between food and wine. But when I read off the top of your kind of CV, you know, studied food engineering as a food product developer, master's degree in gastronomy, and then a PhD in wine sensory science with a focus on food wine, emotional pairing at the University of Adelaide in collaboration with Wine Australia and UC Davis. I was floored. I was like, 
Now, this is somebody that needs to write a book. This is a person I want to talk to and I want to absolutely pick your brain about things. I mean, you found this niche uh, and I, I'm, I didn't even know that, you know, some of these degrees even existed. I certainly wouldn't have studied probably contemporary dance if I had known that this degree was out there. But I just think it's wonderful that you have found your way into the wine world but have this incredible background with food and and wine and also understanding the interplay. For example, when we think about kind of food and wine together, there's sometimes, I'll dare say it, a lot of kind of bullshit that goes into saying why food and wines work together. But there's also a lot of science. And then I love the fact that you're also talking about emotion because there's these other factors of why a great food and wine experience can be about. And it sometimes has to do with the company or the place you're in or the view. So what an amazing PhD. Yeah, well, th- thanks for thanks for the kind words. Uh, look, I absolutely agree with you. And uh, I must say that I've been um, very fortunate to, um, I guess, turn my genuine interest and, and the passion um, into a career, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for. And um, yeah, look, you are absolutely right. Like, um, you know, as, as I briefly mentioned, I, I honestly believe that uh, there is there is much more to um, a good time than having um, great quality wine and food in, in front of you. And uh, there are, um, and and you can you could have you know the most expensive champagne in the world and uh, and you know the the most expensive and highest quality caviar as well. If you just had a uh, absolutely terrible fight with your partner, um, you know, not long ago. And uh, the last thing you want to do is, well, you could, as, as, as we say, as we say it in Hungary, you know, there's a, you can find a reason to, uh, to drink um, if, if you had um, something to be sad for or if you have something to, to celebrate. Uh, so I'm sure, you know, you, you could still have a good time. But the reality is that uh, the, the mood we are in um, will definitely have a huge impact in how we actually perceive uh, flavors because our everything will be slightly altered all our all of our senses will be slightly altered and uh, you know the whole idea is that it's very much connected to our um, memory so whatever we see whatever we hear we smell taste touch etc um, that will evoke um, certain memories and those memories will then um, um, evoke or elicit um, emotions and and uh, and those emotions will uh, create a slightly um, slightly um, you know longer uh, lasting mood. So when we when when we say that uh, you know this 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 meal put me in a good mood, there is actually um, a lot of truth behind it. So um, I guess in you know more more casual settings, I I, I always love to ask uh, uh, people that. Uh, uh, Instead of you know just asking, hey, so what would you like to drink? I just love to ask, what what are you in the mood for? I think it's such a such a great question because, um, you know, um, your your mood can be very different from 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 day to day, or even from like you know lunch to to to, to dinner time, and uh, based on that, uh, your um, your preferences can can change, and uh, whatever that uh, you would be happy to drink, um, um, you know, at I don't know um, five p.m. Um, may not be the same that you would love to drink at ten p.m. 
Yeah, it's. It, I totally agree with you. I love that question, and I I know a few people in the industry that have always kind of said, start with that question. What are you in the mood for? Because rather than maybe even telling you what kind of drink or what kind of dish you're after, it can sometimes just be as simple as. I've had a hell of a day and I need someone else to make the decisions, you know, and and I think, you know, that's what we're trying to get at most of the time is, you know, especially when someone walks into a restaurant and you're trying to assess, you know, where they're at and what they need and, and, you know, use all these verbal clues. So just asking straight out what you're in the mood for cuts through so much barriers, doesn't it? And, you know, you often get quite an honest answer from someone. Yeah, totally, totally. And, you know, that just saves time for um for everyone and uh you know uh, you can really make someone's day just by giving them what what they what they truly want mm. now you have all this information after all of your studies and then you just you worked your way into putting it into practice was your first role as a sommelier where where was that at well, in in, in Australia, um, I had a, a few like smaller um, casual roles um, in, in in wineries and small wine bars. Uh, but the first, I would say, major role that I had was at uh, at Magali State, uh, Pamphlet's Magali State, where um, I first started as a sommelier, and then uh, shortly after uh, I became the the head sommelier. Which is absolutely fantastic because, you know, needless to say, we are talking about one of the one of the oldest and uh, one of the most iconic brands uh, of Australia. And uh, you know, I had access to a lot of history there, um, not just like uh, in terms of like actual history, but also liquid history. Um, and uh, really, that was the time I really got to discover and I guess got to understand um, the beauty of aged Australian wine. Um, I just remember one of the most uh, um, iconic moments when um, there was an event um, hosted by Peter Gago and uh, um, he opened a few bottles of uh, Bin 7 from um, from 1978 and also the, uh, well, um, the, that uh, Bin 6A from uh, 1962. Uh, which are both uh, Shiraz Cabernet, sort of the, 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 the absolutely iconic Australian uh, blend, of course, the definition of, 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 of a claret. And what was very, um, very striking about those two wines is that both of those wines, you know, 50, I think at the time we were, we were talking about like 50, um, 52 years probably for the, the Bean 7, a little more for um, the Bean 68. Um, what really, what really got me was the fact that uh, both of those wines still had primary fruit, and you know, if I was to taste those wines in, 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 in taste those wines in blind, I probably would have guessed something, you know, um, you know, great vintage, maybe you know, 1991 uh, or some, maybe late 80s, something like that. So, um, and that really uh, sparked this interest uh, for. Um, Older wines and and uh, particular older Australian wines, which um, I still keep uh, my eyes out for. Um, even you know some of the older uh, fortified wines, some some Tonys, sometimes easily going back to the 1970s, 60s, etc. Um, I, I just love that liquid history. And of course, there was there was the food part as well. Um, 
which was uh, again like fine dining. Uh, it was a fine dining environment, um, but because most of the most of Pamphlet's wines are red wines, um, I just had to be a bit more creative about how to you know how to create wine pairings and how to create uh, dining experiences because uh, putting together uh, i mean most of the most of the tasting menu was really seafood uh, uh, driven seafood heavy so i really uh, had to be creative and, and 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 learn how to how to use um um aged wines in in food and wine pairing so i, I actually really like that or how to use fortified wines um and yeah, so that was the the first role, and then well, COVID happened, and uh, and then um, I also had a um, very serious uh, accident, uh, which then obviously related to my wine making. Uh, unfortunately, a uh, a um, wine barrel full of wine uh, fell onto my foot, um, and uh, I had a very serious injury, which uh, essentially. Um, well, kept me kept me in in a chair in 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 a bed for uh, nearly uh, eight months, and that was a long time to I guess uh, rethink what I wanted to do, and uh, um, that it, it was also questionable whether I can um, you know um, whether I can walk, walk properly, whether I can um, work on the floor again, and. Um, that that was the time when I discovered my passion for for instance. Wine writing and uh, and and communication and uh, and the the education part of it, and uh, and then after that there was another um, opportunity which thankfully um, thankfully um, aligned with uh, my relatively successful um, rehabilitation, and that opportunity was um, a historical restaurant or. Well, I should say historical heritage listed tea house in um, in the Adelaide uh, Botanic Gardens, and uh, I joined that project, which became known as Restaurant Botanic. And uh, well, pretty much we um, when I joined, it was a, a construct construction site, and um, we had a, a vision concept, and uh, and um, that was that was absolutely. Um, about uh, experiential dining, or it is still about uh, experiential dining, and uh, well, the the goal was to create a um, um, a destination destination uh, uh, dining um, a restaurant um, that um, would be unique and uh, would attract people not only from all around Australia but uh, um, from all around the world eventually. Um, yeah, so that. Uh, but the concept was uh, um, initiated by uh, Chef Justin James, and uh, I joined, uh, I think, probably the second or the third person um, in the core team, in the senior uh, management role. Um, as, so I joined as a beverage director, and uh, and I had uh, basically um, all the freedom to um, you know develop the food beverage program, including the wines, including... Uh, cocktail spirits and uh, a very exciting non-alcoholic program as well. Um, that was um, that was meant to feature the um, the botanic gardens, the Adelaide Botanic Gardens. So that uh, 51 um, hectare area, um, you know, 
uh, obviously uh, uh, consisting a lot of super interesting native ingredients and in through um, all kinds of non-alcoholic fermentations, infusions, etc., we created some uh, absolutely unique drinks. Amazing. I mean, that that whole experience of your incredibly unfortunate accident with the barrel. I mean, I imagine that that just did it just completely crush your foot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was a, uh, a thing from memory seven surgeries, and uh, um, yeah, um, but unfortunate. The I guess the, the 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 fortunate part of this misfortune is that uh, it happened here in in Australia, and uh, there was a uh, technique developed here in Adelaide that uh, well ended up saving my foot. Um, so. Um, yeah, look, I consider myself very fortunate, and uh, and uh, now I'm doing quite well. I'm I'm able to run. Uh, since then, I I actually very ambitiously um, set out a goal while I just at the moment as I was you know being able to like I guess start walking. I just set out a goal that I really want to run a marathon. So I done that uh, last year, um, which I was very happy about. Wow! Congratulations. That's, I mean, it, it's now that I know you a little bit better. It it, it seems um, appropriate that, of course, in the midst of your recovery, you decided you want to run a marathon. But um, it, it's kind of crazy that that you you know that experience. But I suppose you know, it's amazing that in that time when you were you know unable to move. That you know, you were thinking, okay, I've got all these skills. How do I use them, and and how can I keep this up? And and where a lot of people would go into, a, I think, a, a pretty dark place. You just started, and I'm sure recovery wasn't easy, but you just started, um, you know, already being proactive of like, how can I utilize what I know, and where can I go from here? And so, it's wonderful that you, you know looked at somewhere like a beverage director role where you can be a little bit, you know, not every day is is working those floors as hard as possible, but also that, you know, establishing Ludo and and, um, everything else you're doing, you're just somebody that just, I I can't imagine ever manages to sit still for long without something, creating something or doing something sensational. It's it's remarkable. Yeah, thank you. I think... uh, um I think the, I don't think there is a secret to this. I think it just, uh, I think it's important to understand that uh, um, change is part of life and uh, you need to embrace change because if you keep resisting change, um, you know, that's when um, you you can become quite uh, unhappy and um, you can, as you said, you can, you can get into uh, some darker places and uh, yeah, those places are not, uh, not, not uh, near where I would like to stay for much longer. I do want to talk a little bit about Ludo wines because not at the time when those wines were released, I didn't know a lot about you, but I was immediately captured by those wines. One, because I thought they were incredibly intriguing and two, because I automatically saw um, somebody who had a real kind of palate for a drinking experience, and I and I mean that particularly in in the rosé that you drink, because 
I'm not somebody that drinks a lot of rosé. I, I need to kind of have a reason to drink rosé. I need to see the varieties. I need It needs to have texture enough to interest me. Otherwise, I would probably drink a white wine or if, you know, it's I just I find it a funny place and there are wonderful rosés out there. But it's immediately when I tasted your rosé, I was like, here is somebody that understands what good drinking and pleasure in drinking is all about. And um and I've loved the evolution of them each year. So tell me a little bit about what you aimed what your aim was when you produced Ludo wines and what was at the heart of of what you wanted to put out onto the market. Oh look thank thanks for the <laughs> thanks for your kind words and thanks for your uh, support from the from the get go. Um, I mean I think you're um, you're definitely someone who really understood what what I wanted to achieve with uh, with with that, with that rosé and with with Ludo in in particular. Um, I mean, Ludo itself is, a, is an interesting story because I um, I started Ludo with uh, two of my friends um, who were also my uh, PhD colleagues, and uh, and um, it kind of made sense to. To make wine together because all of them have, all of us had a um, winemaking experience in in, in Europe and uh, we 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 did our PhDs in different fields, wine microbiology, um, viticulture, and uh, the wine sensory part. And uh, because of that, we also had access to some high quality grapes um, in, in in McLarenville, and uh, we just utilized um, this opportunity and. Uh, this is how the first vintage of Ludo in 2018 came by. Then uh, um, we just, you know, repeated that. We really started with like one ton of, of Shiraz and um, just made it, um, I guess, uh, slightly differently, which at the time was uh, using a special yeast um, discovered by, 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 by Anna, one of my friends and colleagues who was um, in the microbiology side. And that, that yeast um, was very special or is still very special because uh, it actually converts part of the, the sugar into lactic acid instead of, instead of ethanol. And by that, it uh, naturally produces lower alcohol wines with, with higher natural acidity. So um, it was some, something very exciting, especially in, in, um, in, 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 in a warmer region um, that you know, could really feel the heat uh, quite literally in, in warmer years. And uh, we just wanted to try it. And uh, the first vintage was, we really liked the first vintage, uh, second vintage as well. And uh, then the third vintage, I just thought that, uh, well, I kind of like the wines, but, um, and, you know, they, they make decent uh, red wine, but I think, um, I just feel like we could make a better rosé. Um, and the whole rosé idea was uh, um, driven by an idea to make uh, white Shiraz, which, uh, well, um, I mean, you saw you saw the first vintage of the rosé. It was everything but white. It was uh, definitely a darker rosé. So, you know, in that sense, it, it didn't quite work out. The experiment didn't quite work out. But the other part was to, to actually create a um, very textural and, 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 and complex um, wine, um, whether it's a textural white or, or, or a rosé that was kind of secondary. It was more about really, I guess... Um, creating something that has a fruit element, some spice, some minerality, but also has some lovely savory um, pithiness to it, um, some saltiness. And um, I think 
once you if, if you if you have a goal if you have a purpose um if you know if you if, if you're very clear about what you want to do in terms of flavor profile um you can start working backwards like you know how how can i get some some savoriness some pithiness into the wine how can i get a bit of you know saltiness to it the fruit part will come anyways uh um in mclarenville so it, w it wasn't necessarily an issue and um so yeah, we just started. Uh, well, at that time it was uh, actually um, only myself because uh, the two of uh, two of the other guys left Adelaide. Um, so I just started to work um, backwards. Okay, so what are what are the steps that I need to apply to to get there? And uh, and you know, kind of uh, broke it down into uh, individual winemaking steps, and uh, and you tasted the result. Um, and they just, you know, worked out well. And, uh, you know, having said that, had it been a different vintage, maybe wouldn't, would, would have been a different result. Uh, so I think it's kind of like um, make, making interesting wines to me is, is always a combination of, uh, uh, I guess, intention, skill, but also there's a bit of luck involved because you still need to be able to, I mean, you can't really change uh, what mother nature um, has in mind. <laughs> That's for sure. And <clears throat> I think... Yeah, I think that the way when you drink your wines, you really see um, the place that's present in the wines. You see a little bit of the workings of you as well, I think, in being kind of a craftsman and a, a bit of an artisan. But you certainly see somebody that understands flavour and texture and um, kind of how they all work together. And that's what I love about Ludo Wines is the the fascinating story of you and and what you've done in your past and, and present is all wrapped up into these wines. And, and I think that they're really something that people should seek out. There's not a huge amount of them made, but um, they're such interesting wines. And, and uh, I'm really glad that, that I get to see them and get to drink them. And, um, I, yeah, I hope, I hope we see more from Ludo. Yeah, thank you. Well, there is a – well, <laughs> I mean – it will never be a lot, but uh, there will be a little bit more. I think uh, you know this year and also next year. Um, I think you know. I'm, I feel like um, we kind of found a sweet spot um, with with the production, which is you know still not a lot. So probably the largest release might be um, you know probably five thousand bottles across all the wines. Um, but uh, yeah. that will be plenty uh, for a little uh, passion project. Well, it's pretty exciting. And keep up with that rosé. I think that rosé could be the rosé of Australia if you keep on that trajectory. So I'd love to see that. Um, I'd like to know a little bit about your palate as well. If you were you know, only able to pick three drinks for the rest of your life, Marcel, what would you drink and, and why? <laughs> Okay. Oh well, it's a, it's a question that uh, oh, I kind of knew it was coming, but uh, yeah, didn't quite have uh, uh, the um, the opportunity to really think it through. So I think it will be. Um, I would just improvise. I think. Yeah. Um, look, I think I would. I think I like. Uh, I like switching things up a little bit, so it's not for me. It's not necessarily just about wine. Um, so I think margarita, um, you know, nice uh, salty rim. That would definitely be it. Um, one of them. And uh, well, obviously, 
it would have to be a rosé, let's be honest. So it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be me if it uh, if I didn't pick a rosé. Um, and probably the most remarkable rosé I tasted uh, uh, recently is uh, it's actually um, a Rioja rosé from a uh, Vigna Tondonia, uh, 2012. Yeah, so. Um, you know, honoring that uh, that traditional winemaking uh, in Rioja, extended uh, uh, barrel aging and then extended bottle aging before release. So I think the 2012 is uh, is the current release, and that's to me the defi definition of, uh, of of the unicorn wine as well, because it's nearly impossible to put uh, your hands on one of those. <laughs> it's totally impossible, and one of the greatest wines ever made. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And ah, for the third one, um, yeah, well, that's a bit of a hard one. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I would probably go with, uh, um, I think I would go with, uh, yeah, like a really, like, like an aged, aged Australian red, like a proper claret. Um, mm. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it would be either either a Shiraz Cabernet or um, or a Cabernet. Um, mm. Yeah, so I mean, it could be you know you could pick any of the classics uh, with probably you know thirty years on it, and I would I would gladly drink it. That's pretty amazing. Look, I, I have such a soft spot for beautifully cellared aged wines, but the problem is you just yeah you don't see them that often, and unless they're great wines to start with, they don't age. They don't get better with age unless they're great to start with. But um, yeah, I've been lucky enough to have some amazing older wines, and I'm with you on that. But I I'm surprised to hear that you haven't said a Tokay. Yeah, well, look, um, I mean, I could have said that, and uh, yeah, um, I'll, I'll allow you a fourth if <laughs> if you share some with me. <laughs> Done, done deal, done deal, yeah. <laughs> Hungary produces, for me, some of the most remarkable sweet wines and their Tokay is probably my pick if I'm to ever have a sweet wine. And, you know, the French would hate me, but I would pick a Tokay over a Sauternes any day of the week. And, uh, yeah, those wines are absolutely amazing. So we're going to have to put that on our in our diaries one day to drink a beautiful aged Tokay followed by a great Australian claret. I'm going to make sure that we tick that off our list, Marcel. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a plan, and uh, we need to get uh, we need to get the Hungarian government to um, get you as um, as an ambassador for Tokay. Oh God! Uh, that's, can you imagine? That's, that's exactly that's the sentence they they love to hear. I would pick a Tokayasu over Sotern any day. I would, I would, and I know I'll get in trouble, but I absolutely commit to it. So I probably need to work on my um, Hungarian language skills. You can help me with that too. But <laughs> it's been fantastic getting to know more about you. I just really am fascinated by everything you do and uh, hats off to you for all the hard work you put into everything. And thank you, Marcel, for coming on the podcast. I'm thrilled. Thanks, Shanti, for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at overaglasspod and contact us at overaglass at deepintheweeds.com.au.